Welcome to episode 11 of Better with Paul. Now today, I'm excited. You know I'm excited every single episode, but I'll tell you why I'm excited today. Because today is very reminiscent of something that I was missing in my childhood. And let me explain. You see, when I was growing up in New York, right, when I was growing up, there was something that I was so excited about at the top of the month that I would wait by the mailbox. And that was my father getting Forbes magazine. You see, my father would get Forbes, but I would grab it out the mailbox and look through it first because I couldn't wait to see people who look like me doing phenomenally well, right? So back in that time, kind of late 80s, early 90s, you saw a lot of entertainers, people like Bill Cosby, people like Michael Jackson were in these magazines. And I was always amazed to see how much money they were making and a little bit about how they were making it. Then in 1996, Forbes magazine rolled out their hip hop list, right? So, you know, it was hip hop. This was when hip hop was mostly black hip hop artists. And Forbes would chronicle how much these artists made throughout the year and just, you know, one or two paragraphs about their business. Learn about how, you know, MC Hammer was making money off of, you know, merchandise and commercials, etc. And that fascinated me because I was seeing more people who look like me earning massive, right, massive wealth, right? And I was just so excited and actually inspired by that, that when in 2016, when Forbes magazine rolled out Cash Kings, I was at the front of the line to get that first magazine because the Cash Kings was the first time I saw a major business magazine outside of Black Enterprise break down how these entrepreneurs were making their money. It would actually break down the licensing deals, how they got the licensing deals, right? I was fascinated by the Cash Kings list of Forbes magazine, so much so that I thought, you know, we need the next level of this. Someone needs to create something like a newsletter that specifically unpacks the behind the scenes details of how these hip hop entrepreneurs are making their money. And guess what? You ask and so it shall be provided. Ladies and gentlemen, that newsletter exists. So now a year ago, a friend of mine says, Paul, you should check out a newsletter called Trapital, right? So it's at trapital.co. And he said, you should really check this out in particular because it's a Jamaican that writes this newsletter called Trapital. So I said, all right, let me, let me check this out. I go and the first article I see which you have to download it as a newsletter, was about Tyler Perry, right? Now, this wasn't an ordinary article about Tyler Perry. This was a step-by-step breakdown of how Tyler Perry went from homelessness, literally, I'm talking about just about two decades ago, homelessness all the way through to at that time making roughly what people said was, uh, you know, couple hundred million a year. So he had a net worth of about $600 million. Now, what impressed me was how this author, Dan Runcie, broke down. He basically gave us the yellow brick road, right? The blueprint, the cheat code to how Tyler Perry did it. And he made it so easy that I began to think, wow, these are things that I can actually replicate in my business. And so I subscribed to Trapital and week after week after week, we would get 
this specific breakdown on how Wiz Khalifa or Cardi B, right, how different hip-hop entrepreneurs or media entrepreneurs specifically made their money. I then reached out to Dan. I said, Dan, you, you have to come on to my podcast. We have to chop things up. So I invited Dan on to specifically talk about Tyler Perry. Now, the reason why I was so interested in Tyler Perry is because here's someone who went from homelessness and then used content to become worth, at that time, $600 million. But since then, now is estimated to have a net worth anywhere between $1.3 billion. Hello, another black billionaire. And $1.5 billion. And that net worth will continue to grow because he owns 100% of his company and 100% of all of those assets. So... Today's episode is a masterclass specifically on Tyler Perry, but then it gets even better because towards the end of the conversation, I start to ask Dan about different business models that hip-hop entrepreneurs have used. In particular, we look at Master P versus Jay-Z versus Damon Dash and how they each used different business models to build equally formidable empires, right? So this is going to be one of those episodes, if you like case studies, if you like how they built things, if you like the specific details and you're looking to grow your empire, you cannot miss this episode. One of my favorite conversations of the last year with my man, Dan Runcie from The Yard. Right after the break, you'll hear the phenomenal story of how Tyler Perry built his empire, how Damon Dash, Jay-Z, and Master P built their empires. And on top of it, you'll hear how Dan Runcie built Trapital. It was 1998, after my god sister had just gotten married in Columbia, Maryland. Okay, so after the 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 marriage, after the you know the wedding, the reception, a small group of us went back to her home, and we're all hanging out, right? So all the fellas are in this one room, and all the ladies are in another room, and the ladies were in the room with the TV, and so I'm sitting there, all the fellas like we're drinking, basically playing cards, and I could hear all the ladies laughing, right? Constantly, they're laughing, they're laughing. So I walk in to see, like, what's going on? What's, you know, what's happening? And I look and they're all watching TV, okay? And they're watching, uh-oh, let me, let me turn this. All right, that's good, right? All right, something was popping up on our screen, sorry. So, all right, so, so they're, you know, they're all, they're all watching TV. And I look at what they're watching and it's like this grainy VHS, like, it's 1998, you know, we're still on VHS. And they're watching this grainy thing. And it's like this man who looks like he's a crossdresser, right, on the screen. And they are laughing, laughing, laughing. And three things kind of hit me in that moment, right? The first was I asked, why are you watching a bootleg? Like, why are you watching a bootleg of a play of all things, right? And one woman said, no, 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 this isn't a bootleg. I bought this. My church in Atlanta, 
right? And I brought this up so your guy's sister could see this. So it was the first time I had ever seen someone bring in a record, a, 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 you know, recording of a play, right? Of a play. The second thing, and I'll never forget this, is that as the ladies watched throughout the night, the fellows one by one would trickle into the room and we would stay and people would debate and argue. But what was happening, the content on the screen was creating this conversation, was creating community. The third thing is this play was in Atlanta and every single woman in the room said, oh, I can't wait till this comes to New York. I can't wait till this comes to Richmond, right? Everyone couldn't wait for this play to come to their city. And what I didn't realize was right there in 1998, I was witnessing the first chapter, if you will, or maybe the second chapter of one of the greatest entrepreneurial stories in the United States. And that was really the birth of Tyler Perry. That was his play. Uh, I know I've changed, right? That was, that was it. And what's so incredible to me is that over the 22 years since 1998, this man has done over a billion in, in sales across all of his products and services. He's generated a net worth arguably of 600 million or, or more. Incredible impact. And he's done it with the model of complete ownership. Something that I think a lot of us don't understand. And if we did, we would, we would build better businesses and different businesses. You know, so I've been fascinated with Tyler Perry. And when a friend of mine, Anthony Frazier, I want to shout out Anthony Frazier, who runs a company called ABF Creative. I was on the phone with him. He said, hey, you need to check out this website, Trapital, right? You need to see what, what, what Trapital is all about. And then he said, and you're going to love the, the, the story of the week. So he sent me the link, story of the week, a case study on my man, Tyler Perry, right? And I've never seen a case study written, I'm talking about grammatically put together, right? Well, and, uh, and, I, and I thought it was incredible. So I immediately read maybe five, six different articles on Trapital. Uh, I think I then, what did I do next? I uh, listened to two or three podcast episodes. I then sent you a, 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 you know, a message, but then over the course of the weekend, I listened to every single Trapital episode, every one. And I'm completely blown away. I've, I've honestly never been this blown away by someone uh, in a long time. And then I find out you're Jamaican. And so now I'm like, oh my God, right? Too bad I don't have a sister. I could get this guy, I could mar marry her off. Uh, Dan Runcie, um, man, I am a big fan of your work. And, uh, and, and, and I'm really excited to have a conversation with you in particular about how Tyler Perry built his empire. No, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate you reaching out and I appreciate Anthony reaching out. He had just emailed me a couple of weeks ago. So oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was hitting me up about uh, another opportunity and something he's working on. But yeah, no, first, thank you for that praise. It, it definitely means a lot. And I think that Trapital was a idea that I had had brewing for some time. I saw that there was a void that needed to be filled with the type of discussion that we often had about hip hop culture. I looked and 
whether it was past jobs I've had, grad school, moving on, we always had these high-level business strategic discussions about every other industry, whether it's tech or consumer packaged goods or finance. But hip-hop was just as much as a business. These folks are just as influential, just as powerful any other leaders, but no one was breaking it down consistently in that same type of way. And even the freelance stuff that I was doing on the side, those articles had some traction, but it was still few and far between. And in true Tyler Perry fashion, it was like, if this isn't being done, then someone needs to own it and see where it can go from there. And we're still in the early stages with it, but I've definitely been happy with where it's went. And I do think that this uh, this past week's Tyler Perry article is a testament not only of why uh, outlet like Trapital accepts to highlight these stories and to break it down the same way that any other business has been breaking down over time. Over time, but you know what I'm curious about is why did you why did you select Tyler Perry? Because when I you know read Trapital, it's I see a lot of hip hop focused content, and so Tyler Perry, I, I feel like he. You know he's 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 outside the hip hop community. So so why were you so intrigued about Tyler? It's a few things. The first thing is that although hip hop is my main focus, is of course is hip hop business and strategy. That's the tagline for Trapital. The key themes I often talk about ownership and the trade offs that artists need to take when owning their craft. There's so much discussion about who should be an independent artist and who should partner. And no one necessarily got to the crux of the details of it. And I've used so many examples, whether it's someone like Chance the Rapper or someone like Rihanna and going through and what worked for them and what didn't and what are the trade-offs that they had to make. Tyler Perry's rise fit within that same narrative. And because so many of the themes that he touched on, understanding Black culture and being able to represent that finding an audience that didn't necessarily have content that spoke to them and some of that grassroots hustling ways to evangelize a group and truly find your core right. and also the failures and the trying hard and being able to eventually figure things out. So much of that is germane and aligns with the rise of so many other hip hop artists that I said that the audience that has been following Trapital would get a ton out of this story by being able to apply similar type of principles. So it's a slight divergence, but because I think the cultures of not just hip hop, but black culture more broadly tend to be aligned in that same way, that it was a valuable crossover piece to dig into. Yeah, absolutely. You know, another alignment that just kind of pops into my head as you're talking is that I feel like when you look at the origin of Tyler Perry, so like, what was he doing prior to 1992 when he first, you know, when, when his, his stage play first hit the stage, right? This is a guy who, and I haven't been able to, to, to find a lot of evidence on this, so I'd love your, your, your take on this, is I'm assuming this is a guy who wasn't really business savvy, right? I, I can't see any evidence where he had opened up a business before, uh, where he was entrepreneurial. You know, he strikes me as someone who literally was, as you said, I was watching Oprah, kind of got inspired to write to soothe my pains. And then I took that to the next level. What what do you kind of assess was Tyler Perry pre-1992 in terms of his business savvy? I think you're absolutely right. I don't see him as someone that necessarily had this. 
he of course had a rough upbringing. I think that he eventually got his GD in college later on and didn't necessarily have a lot of that traditional traditional practice. And even as the early nineties, I'm pretty sure he's working as a bill collector and wasn't necessarily in a standard business job. And I think that when he comes around to 1992, having the idea, getting the inspiration from Oprah saying that writing is cathartic. So he's like, okay, let me go do that myself. It actually follows a common path that I think a lot of entrepreneurs and artists and people that are in this industry follow. There's a sentiment in building businesses that the first time entrepreneurs or the people that go into it earlier are much more focused on the product than they are the distribution of that product. And it's one of these sentiments that may seem a bit ironic at first, but it underlying thing is that you could have a amazing product, something that people ride with. But if you're not making the steps in place to make sure that people understand and know about what you're doing, then it isn't necessarily going to have traction. So if we look at that first play, the first time that he put on, I know I've been changed using his life savings money that he had saved up at the time, thought that he was going to have 1,200 people there opening weekend. After that weekend, 30 people showed up. And these were all acquaintances that he had already <laughs> known. So Hopefully his mom know. showed up. Did his mom show up? <laughs> I would hope so. I would hope so. Um, it kind of reminded me, I don't know if you saw Last Black Man in San Francisco, but <laughs> There was that scene in that movie where that guy was um, creating a screenplay and then he had his play, but literally was in the <laughs> attic of this apartment in San Francisco. It was all the people that you even already introduced to in the movie were the only people there. That's what it reminded me of just hearing that story. But, you know, going through and trying to tweak the play, tweak the play. And of course, he's probably working through things from the content. The play didn't get the best reviews, but things started to change. In 1998, when he started to focus a bit more on the promotion of he, it. Now, now, I tell you what, Dan, before we even get into 98, though, like even to take it back to 92, the reason why I thought there was a lot of parallels to, to, to the hip hop community is I feel like a lot of folks I know from hip hop, they didn't have the business savvy, right? It wasn't like I, I graduated from Harvard MBA, right? I did three years at Goldman Sachs, right? Investment banking. It was It's basically like, Here's something that I think is a pain, right? Here's like pain in the marketplace, right? Here's here's something that that I want to pursue. Let me just go out and get it done by any means necessary. I feel like that's the same route that Tyler took, but I also feel like that's what we're often told not to do as entrepreneurs. And I just want to get your thought on that because how, how do we how do we almost rectify that? Because in one vein, I hear so many people like right now, this, um, I'm, I'm recording this at a school, have, they have a huge MBA program that focuses on entrepreneurship. And the focus is, is like, do your research, right? Make sure you got product market fit, you know, make sure that you know the, your customer avatar, right? Make sure that you do all of the science, check all the boxes before you launch your business. But then over here, you have Tyler Perry that's like, yeah, I'm going to take my 12 grand and go out here and just try something. How, how do you, I mean, and, and, and clearly he's had, he had his struggles, but I mean, look at him now. So how, how, do you, how do you rectify the two if you're talking specifically to people who are thinking about that entrepreneurial journey? I think it's a mix between the art and the science of this because so much of that 
those entrepreneurial lessons that you were alluding to that I was even speaking to earlier about the distribution over product, product market fit, et cetera. A lot of that is the science aspect, right? Like, can you mechanically work this in a way where it would functionally lead to a successful business? But the thing that they talk about oftentimes, and this is what I think Tyler Perry has and what a lot of folks in hip hop have is that intangible hustle. It's that desire like, yes, I am going to make this work. And it may not make sense on paper right now. I may be getting people that are doubting me, but I'm going to make this work. And it's that determination, that grit, those aren't necessarily things that can be taught. Mm. Think about the average person, right? If you're Tyler Perry in 1996 and you've been going at this for four years and you're getting evicted, you're in and out of stints of homelessness in Atlanta. Like you drove, you moved away from your home and this is what you're now doing in these streets. Would you go try that again? How many people would necessarily do that? There's nothing in that distribution over product scenario that would say, yes, continue to do this right. or the product market fit. And it's that intangible aspect. It's that story that makes a lot of people gravitate in a way that makes it seem more relatable and of course, it's, it, 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 it definitely is a bit more romanticized, but I do think that it, that it matters. He was able to overcome the odds in a number of ways and, and, and get over that. I think that's remarkable. And I think he had that hustle. And then once you combine that hustle with the principles, that's where you start to see some magic happen. Yeah. A amen to that. So, I mean, you're talking about 96. I think that whole period, right, between 92 and 98, to me- that was his MBA, right? That was his, that was the master class. That was mastermind. I mean, that was really the training ground. And I wish I could go back and just like observe him during that time because you're right. I mean, he was being evicted. I, I, there was one story I remember. He, he said where I think he was, uh, he had like a, a one or $2 budget per week for food. Like one or $2 per week for food was this man's budget. So despite- wow. All of that, he continues to reinvest in the play, right? He continues to perfect this thing that everybody's saying, it's a dud. Like, stop this. Like, you're homeless, man. Stop this. Now, he's, he's got the, is, you know, you're talking about the grit, right? So, so a lot of that is DNA. But almost academically, what do you think is going through his mind telling him, all right, keep going? Like what, what is it that you think he's seeing or believing to say, I know I'm homeless. I know everyone's told me this play is a dud, right? I know I have no experience doing this, but I'm going to keep going. I think it's that strong belief and seeing something succeed, even in the smallest possible way and truly understanding the customer. I think I do think it comes down to that. And I think for him, we saw that happen with the church and how he spoke about it, right? He had those early stories where his mother and his aunts would be upset about something that's happening in their life. And then he would come in and go tell a joke and pretend as if he's one of the church sisters that they're making fun of. And that stuck with him. And he's like, okay, this can be a sign of relief. This can be relatable for this community. And they don't have something there. And that's not something that is going to change anytime soon. If you have a concept like that and you stick to that, that will carry you through. And I do think that those are the things that can carry you past the 
business principles and all the other tangible things that would tell you to otherwise not go and do something. If you understand the problem and if you understand that the solution is possible, but a few things just need to work out to get there, it's yeah. very hard to tell that person no. And I think he proved he proved it right. This is there. This was there. Yeah. Medea became the franchise that it is because Tyler Perry still stuck by those stories and even if you hear him say like my first 10 movies were subconsciously about my mother that's exactly what that speaks to and having that type of deep connection and personal understanding for the customer will set someone aside much further than you know an equivalent entrepreneur that is trying to start something that they just don't have that personal push behind mm. so was it 98 that you believe that's really where everything fell into place was 98 yeah, 98 is where things fell into place because that's where the distribution started to line up and the promotion started to line up. At that point, he started working with a promoter and the promoter had a few ideas for him that he started to connect with. So one was to get the church bought in, let's have the people that are in the church be part of the play. And then they, by extension, can th then go tell the people that they are connected with to come through. Okay. So that type of connection, being able to spread that over, like it was in many ways how businesses will look at, okay, if we're trying to partner with an organization, if we're trying to do a deal, it's one thing to look at the org chart, but who are the mavens? Who are the people that are truly going to evangelize this forward? So it's looking and doing the scatter plot. And for people that have gone to churches, in many ways, the people that are in the choir are far more likely to have been long-term members of the church and understand the politics and the in and out far more than the pastor might. Wow. And, and, wow. And, and I think that speaks to his understanding. And even something that's a slight nuance like that, that's how you're able to bring the community to come through. So he, he does that. And then one of the things that I actually didn't include this in my article, but someone had told me about it. Uh, later, and it made perfect sense. At the end of his shows, he would literally say, hey, everyone, hold up your cell phone right now. And everyone hold up the cell phone. I'm going to be performing in this city in next week. Text any person oh. you know, <laughs> tell them that I'm coming through to that city. And those are the type of things that helped him sell out. And of course, if he already has the church in this city, that can help connect to the church in the next city. Absolutely. So Absolutely. it was really finding that core and then being able to extend from there gotcha. in a smart way. Gotcha. So, and what about the email? Because in your article, I mean, actually, the one moment that I laughed out loud was when in your article, you actually screen did a screenshot of his current email or what I would call basically a landing page for his email. Uh, I mean, <laughs> can you explain what it looked like? Because I loved, I mean, I love him. I was just shocked at how basic this thing looked. It was something else. So that screenshot and that webpage itself looks like it was something that was created on a Microsoft Word document put in landscape and adjusted left and literally just thrown up on the screen. It's something that you would have expected from Windows 95 or something back, <laughs> back in the day. But the thing is, it speaks to the Tyree brand because it worked. He was able to accumulate hundreds and thousands of email addresses. So by the time that he was even ready to 
released the Medea movie, he already had, I think it was 400,000 people on that email list. And it was making sure that he was collecting them at each show that he went to. It was having those people then pass it on. So he did that. And he was also very personable in his emails. He would include personal lessons about challenges he had or things he was going through. And it could have been very easy for someone like him to just have a generic email or have someone on his team send it through. Right. But that stuck out to me in so many ways because I look at how big and how popular email marketing is now in this era where people are frustrated with the algorithms of Instagram and Twitter. How do you connect with people? Get their email address. Right. Everyone has these landing pages. I have capital. And that purely is the key. But even back then, before MailChimp had blown up and all those other stuff, Tyler Perry was on this game. And it's been it's been impressive to see. And yeah, the fact that it's a low frills speaks to the low cost volume results oriented process that really is the Tyler Perry machine. Machine, Yeah. And so, you know, a, a lot of what you're describing right now really is talking about how much of a marketing phenomenon he is in terms of capturing the emails, what he did. I had no idea about that when he was, you know, at in the theater saying, hey, I'm coming to Boston. You know, everybody texts everybody from Boston. That's brilliant. Uh, tapping the folks from the choir. And I'm assuming that he would go to different churches within the city and 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 do that. All right. So he's he's tapping. So he's got the folks who are evangelizing for him. But talk to us about some of his business management savvy. Because I I, I think he's probably underrated as a business operator. But from reading your article, I mean looking at his low cost of production, uh, how he is more frequent in his production than, than other folks. I think all of that also speaks to how much of a kind of an entrepreneurial guru he is. It really does. And it, again, speaks to the trade-offs. You often hear that companies either need to focus more on let's excel at having a product and let's make that product a high cost product and putting that out there knowing that you're going to sell less, but you're after a particular customer, you're okay that it's going to attract less of those people, but you want that. And he went the exact opposite route and knew that that's what he wanted to double down on. I think the operation of his process is key here because his turnaround time was much quicker than the average production. He spoke about his TV sitcoms and it was meet the browns and some of those shows he's doing four episodes a week yeah. when the standard process is once a week for your typical sitcoms that are pulling in as much people as tyler perry and as i'm writing this it immediately made me think of southwest airlines and their famous model that they had done they had revolutionized the airline industry because everyone else was focusing on the standard hub and spoke go to the big airlines and everyone has an assigned seat versus they were like, we're not just competing against airlines. We're competing in the transportation. This is an alternative to bus. Let's find the underutilized airports. Let's find the gates that are available and let's reduce the turnaround time. Let's get these planes in and out. And that makes me think similarly, Southwest is a low cost carrier. Tyler Perry is a low cost production and he's kept that strong too. His movies were cheap, 
But even as he attained more and more wealth, it's very easy for a typical person to be like, okay, <laughs> bet I'm now making more money. Let right, me let put me... more money into my movies. Tyler Perry was like, no. <laughs> no. no, I've seen some of his buddy. I think he's actually putting less in. <laughs> no. Yeah. But no, no. I mean, this is it. All of this uh, blows my mind only because I would imagine there have to be hundreds, if not thousands of other people that are doing the same things, right? Who also went around to their local churches and you know plucked people from the choir, also said, hey, I'm coming to this next city, make sure you text them. What do you think are some of the other uh, almost intangibles or maybe tangibles of Tyler Perry? And 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 how he's kind of evolved into, uh, you know, this. Or actually, before I even even ask that, let me even go back on the timeline because I think that the timeline is going to feed in, into this. So uh, we're in post nineteen ninety eight, basically, right? And he's evolved, right? How do you think though his this ownership model and everything that you've discussed so far? Does that change over the arc of his career as we get into modern day, you know, 2020 Tyler Perry? It does. Okay. It does. And I think one of the big ways that it changed is with the movies. So Tyler Perry did what we've actually seen a number of hip hop artists do, which is another one of the reasons why I wanted to tell this story specifically. He still partnered when it made sense. He signed his deal with Lionsgate, and Lionsgate helped him distribute the first uh, Diary of a Mad Black Woman movie. And the deal was Tyler Berry got to maintain complete control over the creative content, but Lionsgate was able to get a 50% profit share in turn for their distribution support. And I think this speaks to the trade-offs, right? I think Tyler Perry knows that there's a world where he could have tried to go 100% himself, but it probably wouldn't have worked out. Doing what he did on the Chitlin circuit was perfect for what he did. It was able to give him the opportunity to then extend to his DVDs, whether they were bootleg or they were <laughs> real. They got the word out there, and that's what he cared most about. But when you're making a movie... I, th I think it, it makes it, it makes a big difference because at that point, the gatekeepers are different. There is no Chitlin circuit for the alternative for an AMC or a Lowe's or some of the big theaters out there. And at that point, if you want to be able to get in one of the, you know, three, four thousand theaters in America and you need to be able to have some type of partnership. So I think that was one of the changes and adjustments that we saw him make. But similarly, he was able to build up the leverage to get there. He had to deal with a lot of studios that wanted to offer him worse deals or wanted to tell him that, oh, this wouldn't work, even though he's like, okay, I have hundreds of thousands of people on my email list. I have these DVDs floating around, but you're telling me that there is an audience for this. Him having that behind him gives him more of that confidence and that leverage to be like, okay, no, I'm going to hold things out until I can ultimately get the terms the way that I want. That was the first time that I saw him truly um, branch off from that. Still doing the ownership model, but no different than a Chance the Rapper or a Nipsey Hussle or other folks. When it makes sense, he knew when to do the partnerships. And I think we've also seen that even extend now. A lot of the current celebration of him opening up the studio is celebrating the partnership that he now has with BET. 
Right. This now gives him another connection to say, okay, they have the money, they have the resources and infrastructure already as a cable service. It's easier for them to now participate in the streaming wars with um, BET+. I have the type of content, I have the low-cost production that is now would be very successful in this Netflix era. Let's do this. So I think he's smart about when he sees the opportunities without just jumping in and picks them when it makes sense with his business model and it will help push what he's doing forward. Gotcha. So this is, I mean, we're kind of just bigging up, right, Tyler Perry and, and, his, and his genius, you know, but I'm curious to get your thoughts in particular on if you're doing a, you know, a good SWOT analysis on this man or in his business, where do you think some of the weaknesses are um, in, in his business? Because one that just kind of jumps out at me is that I feel like he is this one man machine, right? He's constantly like part of the beauty is that if it's a Tyler Perry production, all of the brand value is based on Tyler Perry. So therefore, we're not checking to see who's who's in the play or who's in the movie, right? Because we know it's a Tyler Perry movie. You know, and then he introduced and he's able to probably secure uh, lower cost talent as a result of that. But he becomes I think he's the it's like a double edged sword. He's it's great that Tyler Perry's built up this all this brand value, but he's also the Achilles heel. Right. I mean, it doesn't seem like the the entity continues without him. Um, what, what's your take on that? And also, where do you think some of the other weaknesses are in the business model? I'm glad you brought that one up. That is one of the biggest ones, I would say. He is the lead actor, the lead director, the producer, the screenwriter, like these are the janitor. These are all <laughs> the roles that he has. And he's talked about his process, and it isn't that surprising. I mean, it's someone that gets up at 6 a.m., goes through his, is in the studio till midnight, goes to sleep, and does it the next day. And, you know, says he'll do that for like three months straight and then take a break. And yeah, he's, done this now up until now he's 50 years old so it's impressive but how can that sustain over the time it may be tough but i think he's clearly proven that he has been able to find a way to make it happen but it is a huge threat to his business right because if you're thinking about a typical hollywood model if an actor can't come through and there's always complications and there's always issues someone else can come through and fill that role. So that is an opportunity to then bring that person in. So that's something he's missing. But another thing he's missing, I would say, is also the general opportunity cost of his time because you are the operator of this business. Anytime that you are putting on the Medea dress and going through your process, that's less time that you can consider or think about other strategic opportunities that may have crossed his plate. Yeah. Because his model is is fairly, you know, simplistic in a good way, it may stop him from having as much inbound inquiries. But let's compare it to someone like Oprah, for example, who her brand isn't as necessarily as deeply tied to each aspect because she has other people around that are helping her do those things. It's a little bit easier for someone like her to jump into different opportunities where someone like Tyler Perry. I mean, his schedule is probably booked through April right now, like just that specific. And how do you pivot? How do you know when you can move into a new opportunity that comes up? I think it's tough when your time is just that 
booked. So I agree with you. I think that's one of the biggest challenges and threats to his business. Another one I would say, and this would be a good problem to have, I'll say, is that his business model relies on the underrepresentation of black actors and yeah. black actresses, right? The fact that he's able to get a Idris Elba or a, a Viola Davis on the cheap relative to what they go for now means that he's able to find those people and he's able to employ them. And I think that's great that he was able to do that. Five, 10 years from now, I would like there to be a world where that person doesn't isn't as polished at that point in their career where they don't have any other outlets. And that's not a knock on Tyler Perry at all. It's more so you want the culture to be recognized. You want these people to be able to have more opportunities. What does that mean for a business model of Tyler Perry, however? That means that either if he's going to maintain the same budget, the talent that's coming through would be less than it otherwise was, or that means you may have to spend more money for those people. And granted, his movies don't necessarily require Oscar-winning performances, and I think he's the first person to admit that. But there is a little bit of a charm there when you see someone like an Idris Elba or someone like a Taraji being in a role that they might not otherwise be. Oh, yeah. What does that look like when Netflix, Amazon, and everyone else understands the influence of Black actors and wants to get their own, and now the people that Tyler Perry could once get are no longer as available? How does that look? Right. So I think that's another threat as well. Wow. Yeah. That, you know, the last one I didn't, I didn't think about. You're absolutely right. You know, I would imagine how he defends against that, I'm assuming, is through increased distribution. And he just kind of fights it that way. And that's, that's the selling point to continue to partner with the Lionsgates and all these folks. Uh, mm. But no, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Another... Um, it's hard to call this a threat, but something we haven't talked about yet, and I did talk about this a little bit in that article, is the perception of the Tyler Perry brand and how the image and the dis display of what some people consider the negative stereotypes of Black people in his plays and how that may cater to his brand over time. I think this is something that especially in the early 2000s, a lot of people had issues with. I remember a lot of the reviews and a lot of the discussion leading up to Medea and after Medea had come out, how people were going to necessarily react. And I do think that a different person could have caved to the criticism and shifted the product in a way sure. that would have made it this in-between challenge, this in-between product that didn't necessarily know what it was, no longer knew what its customer was either. And it could have made the show suffer quite a bit. I think that in many ways, he was smart to stick to, stick to his ground specifically and not necessarily cave into that because I think he proved that once again, he had the resiliency to know that he understands this customer and what they want. But I do think that that is a challenge. And I think that that could be a challenge as well, continuing on, because I think even his shows that he has on BET now, the new ones coming out, Sisters and Oval, take a different tone. They almost feel a bit more Shonda Rhimes like wow. when I see the trailers, a bit more than something I would see by Tyler Perry. So I'm interested to see what that looks like over time for him. Yeah, and and, and maybe what it is 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 that 
you know, he seems to be very adept at knowing the, the, the customer, right? We hear it all the time in, in entrepreneurship is know your customer, know the, the customer avatar, know, you know, the why behind the why behind the why that they're purchasing or, or, or consuming. He seems to innately know that, right? So, so, so presumably he's, he's, he knows it, right? And, he, and he's, a, he's ahead of us, but we'll see. I guess we'll see. Right, right. You know, um, so here's a question, right? Let's say that this guy is worth, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, all of these sites, by the way, on, you know, net worth is, is like, you know. You can't believe any of them, man. You, 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 can't, you can't believe it, right? So I'm just going to take an average of what I've seen, right? I'm seeing 500 to 700 million in that range. And, and I don't want to count his money, but I just want to say, if it's anywhere close to that, outside of technology, right? I just haven't seen that done in, in like 20 years. I mean, that's, that is, I mean, he was homeless. He was homeless. You're talking about 96. So in about 20, 24 years, man, I've just not seen this. It's wild. It's wild. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because even if you look at the people, like however you want to define a multi-hyphenate of Tyler Perry, <laughs> that's more than most directors out there have in terms of net worth and what they have for money. That's more than most actors themselves have. It's okay. I think some of these producers, the big Hollywood producers make a lot of money. So it's up there, but yeah, it does. His net worth is right up there. That would be at the highest of the hip hop net worth cash kings list. You might see at the Forbes where the people there, you know, Jay-Z, they just reported had reached a billionaire status, but everyone else is in the high 600, 700 million figure, whether it's Rihanna or Drake and Tyler Perry is right in that camp. And it's definitely impressive to see. Yeah. And, and also too, I believe most of his revenue is coming from the US, right? It's, it it seems as if his, 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 his movies in particular don't play well overseas. They don't, which is, which is another interesting aspect too, because we hear so much about the importance of the global box office and now so many of the big budget movies are purposely being tweaked in so many ways to appeal to the global box office that it's now put a lot of the movies that would typically appeal to the American consumer solely in question. I'd actually just research this, these stats for myself. I think this is something that's specific with like black culture as well. Like from the Marvel movie perspective and those universe, Black Panther had one of the highest percentage of domestic gross than most other Marvel movies have. And I don't think that's surprising. We knew a lot of the people in America came out for it. But Tyler Perry, the shift is even more dramatic. It, and it's because it goes back to that core customer, right? That core customer is truly someone that is born and raised in the United States and can understand whether it's the language or the topics that he's talking about. And I think when you are that specific, you do limit yourself and you do understand that there is a cap to what you would have from a maximization of profit or maximization of revenue, not necessarily profit, maximization of revenue. revenue yeah. But with that, you choose to run a low cost operation. You choose to do this in a way where you can find something that is sustainable for yourself. So even though his money doesn't necessarily track as well overseas, I think he's been able to tweak it in a way where it can still 
it can still work for him. Yeah. When you break it all down, what do you think are the top three lessons that entrepreneurs should know about Tyler Perry and how he built his empire? Top three lessons. The first I would say is understand and build for the core customer. If you speak to a wide range of people, I think you will ultimately get lost. That messaging will get lost and have the confidence that if you speak to one person, it can still eventually down the road attract others. But knowing that you need to truly establish that core before you could even think about moving forward as well. So I think that's the first thing. Okay. The second thing I would say is the simplicity. Part of what Tyler Perry succeeded with is focusing on a sole product and being able to excel at that. One of the things that a lot of entrepreneurs get caught up in is when they're launching too many things or they have too many ideas in the pot, even for their own sole company. And it takes a lot of time to launch new products. There could be new challenges. Um, I don't know if you heard the, I think it's the most recent podcast that, or one of the more recent podcasts that How I Built This did with Tristan Walker, but he was talking about this himself. He was like, the because of the venture capital funding we had received for Bevel, we had launched Form and some of the other products much earlier than we would have desired. And it made me think back to this. Tyler Perry was like, plays, videos of the plays, movies, TV shows, and that spanned over you know a 15 20 year run to get to the point where he is now so i think that simplicity is there mm. and three is understanding the trade-offs and being able to stick to them if you are trying to run a low-cost operation have confidence that you have a low-cost operation if you are trying to excel at product accept that you're trying to excel at product and know that it may cost you a lot to get there but do that you don't necessarily have to follow the low cost model. You don't have to do everything the way that Tyler Perry did. But if you at least learn that he positioned his business this way and pretty much aligned everything that speaks to him, whether it's his you know, boring old landing page or his low cost productions or his movies, his turnaround time, all those things tie back to that brand. The more that people can do that and make that connection, the better off it'll be for you. Well, you know what that sounds like to me, Dan? You know what that sounds like? What's that sound like? That sounds like how you're building Trapital right now. No. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, th- that seems like that's the playbook, right? That's the, that's the playbook. And the reason why I bring up Trapital is because I am, like, I'm ridiculously impressed with what you're doing. And, and, and for me, and I think that I represent so many people in that, you know, every time that Cash Kings list came out, right, we would get excited, like, oh, wow, this is great, right? But what was exciting was not necessarily that top figure. It was those just two or three little paragraphs of how they did it, like where they were generating the cash, you know? Right. But I always wanted more, always wanted right, more. Right. And Trapital gives us more than, than we can imagine. You know, um, real quick, I want to get into something that I believe you are the best person in the world to have this conversation with. No, thanks. And, and, and that is, I want to talk about the various business models of hip hop entrepreneurs. Okay. And in particular, I want to pull out Master P. I think there's a lot of similarities between what, how Master P's built his business and how Tyler Perry has built his business. Right. I think there's, there's kind of one like category over there. I think there's the Jay-Z model, 
which I think the Jay-Z model is, is a little bit different, right? And I just want to throw in a splash of Dame and Dash right here, right here, <laughs> Dame. And, 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 and I know Dame, he doesn't want anybody counting his money, right? And we're not here to count his money. But the reason why I want to throw in Dame is because I think that Dame's model is distinctly different as well, right? And, and, and so I feel like there's three different models, and we're not saying that one is right or, or one is wrong. But if you could break down the three, uh, because I think that will help a lot of us who have been fans of these folks, supporters of these folks, to understand how they run their businesses, and better yet, how we can kind of glean some of that model and use it for launching or growing our existing businesses. Definitely. I've always described this, as you described, as a spectrum. And I think roughly on that spectrum, there's been two sides. You have the people that are deeply on the partnership side of things, and then you have the people that are on the ownership side of things. But I do think that each of these three people fall somewhere slightly different and even off to the side on that. So let's let's go into that. Okay. Master P has received a lot of credit and praise recognition over the years for his belief in ownership. He was one of the first folks to get a landmark deal with the major record label where he was able to retain his masters. He was able to retain a majority of the revenue that came in from his projects. And he said, okay, I have done this with this record label, no limit that I have built. I am going to now make the most of this opportunity that I have. And in some ways he was able to simplify the business model in a way that made sense. Because if we go back to the late 90s when No Limit was at its peak, where that gold tank was everywhere. Oh man, mystical. He, Who else was there? I know, man? right? They, Silk the Shocker. Oh man, oh, he, they, man. They, had, they had a little roster, I like that. Yeah. They did, they, they had a squad. And he was like, I have this deal in place and this deal is specifically targeted and will benefit me the more records that I sell. So I am literally going to put out an album every other <laughs> week. And it was a quantity over quality play to the best of it. He made sure that this was a pure marketing thing. I want this album to look good. He teamed up with Pen and Pixel to get those famous album covers <laughs> that we all remember from oh, yeah. that period. And the thing that a lot of us forget is that those albums, a lot of them weren't that good. Like, <laughs> no, we didn't forget that day. We remember because <laughs> there are no okay, classics because nobody's playing them anymore, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, there, there was there was no classics, um, and I think even some of them too, like Silk the Shocker. I feel bad for him. I mean, he's been on a number of lists that have referred to him as one of the worst rappers ever, with this like offbeat rhyming scheme. But he went double platinum, and there you the go. fact that he went double platinum is a testament to Master P being like, I have this moment, and I'm going to maximize it. I'm going to turn this into a brand, and I'm going to sell as many records as possible. I am going to then pivot this into a number of other businesses that I have. And he was wise to take the moment, capture it, and truly simplify his business model in a way that he made it work for him. I could easily see a version of Master P where let's say that he was in the streaming era today and had some distribution deal for something. He would be right up there with quality control or some of these other record labels that have their artists put out music nonstop in right. that same type of fashion. So volume play, own 
everything. When you're partnering with an organization, maximize that distribution, that support that you have, and then be able to push it forward as much as possible. So that's the bucket I would put him in. Okay. Jay-Z, complete other end of the spectrum. Jay-Z is one of the folks that his model, there's a lot we can learn from it, but there's a lot that also isn't replicable for the average person. Because I think he recognized that he needed to partner with others to get big, right? So him and Dame were very big with going to Hot 97 and they would never admit it, but getting involved with Payola and making sure that, you know, volume right. one, volume two, right. and all played. those other albums got played. So I think having that stick with him and then they had done the deal with Def Jam later on. Jay understood that there were people at the top that had the control, that had the interest, but he didn't necessarily have as much clout to make that happen. So how can he be the person that's in that position himself to partner with those organizations and benefit most from what they have? And I think we started to see that happen over time with him taking over as president of Def Jam in the mid-2000s and how he was able to understand and learn the business himself to the point where he is now. At that point, Jay-Z could have still launched his own record label again, the same way you did with Rockefeller. Right. But he's like, no, let me sign this landmark $150 million deal with Live A Nation. Live Nation, yeah, that's that right. That will give me that's the right. money to launch Rock Nation. That'll give me all this extra money to then go make these other investments. And let me go continue to be a brand ambassador and a partner for Puma. Let me get a, you know, 0.25 or whatever the percentage was stake in ownership in the Brooklyn Nets. How can I attach myself to the larger brand, even if I only have a small stake, but make my impact as big as possible? Benefit from that exposure, benefit from that distribution that they have. And in turn, even though you aren't the person that's making a majority of the profit from those deals, you benefit from the association. Right, your brand value increases. Well. Right. right. And because of that, you then get more opportunities. And that's truly how he was able to then take that snowball many times into the billionaire status he is today. Wow, wow. So yeah, so yeah, where, where, yeah, how does Dame fit there? Is he in between the two or he's an outlier? So Dame is, Dame is closer to Master P, but he's, but he's different. And- one of actually one of the most popular articles at the time I'd written it of Trapital was the split between Jay-Z and Damon Dash at uh, Rockefeller and how that still impacts hip hop. Dame was the CEO of Rockefeller at the time. And of course, it was technically a three headed leadership with Dame and Biggs, Biggs. and um, Jay. But Dame was truly the one running the show for a minute. And you could see how Dame's ethos spread through, whether it was having rock films, having rock aware. He wanted to keep the name. He wanted to be able to extend it elsewhere and do a number of things. But him and Jay-Z started to clash. I think a lot of the reasons they started to clash were for personal related things, but the business mentality spoke with it as well. Dame wanted to have control and he wanted to be the one that 
owned the majority of the profits of what he was doing. He wanted to have the name attached to it. If Dane was in a deal and he realized that his company got five or ten percent and someone else got ninety-five or ninety, that really wasn't wasn't his, having it. Yeah, wasn't his thing. And I think for Jay Z, Jay Z understood what that five or ten percent could lead to and was with that. And I think when we saw that split with Cam and Dipset and those guys siding with Dame and then Kanye siding with Jay, you truly started to see the split in how that happened. And even now, as we see what Dame has continued to do with, he has his Dame Dash Studios, which is his subscription service, charging $8 a month for content that he runs and owns himself. He has the Dame Dash Diabetes Network. These are all things that he continues to own and do. And right. of course, entirely branded with his name. Exactly. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, if you even think back to that memorable, I'll say epic interview that he had on The Breakfast Club a few years ago. Did you see the one <laughs> yeah. where he's there talking to Eddie Definitely. and Charlotte? And he's like, wait, how many bosses do you have? <laughs> oh, you're, you're not a man if you have a boss and all this other stuff. Right. That is 100% Dame Dash. Right. So, 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 so now, what do we take away from that? Because, all right, three distinct models, okay? You could look at it and say, oh my God, all right, so Jay-Z won, right, out of those three, because he's a billionaire. But did he really win? Because you've got Master P over here who owns nearly 100% of his stuff, but then you've got Dame over here who owns 100% of his stuff, right? So how do we know what is the appropriate model for us as entrepreneurs? What's the, what's the right path that 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 we need to take and i think the the right answer and it's the one that people don't necessarily like is that it it depends it, it depends and i know that is the easy answer but it truly does come down to a bit of personal preference and a bit of desire for the end goal if your main goal is to be able to be the person that calls the shots if that is your goal as an entrepreneur then you're not going to want to be a Kanye Western partner with Adidas or be a Beyonce partner with Adidas or even be a Rihanna and partner with Louis Vuitton. If you want to be able to be associated and even get the control that you would want from a brand and have no one say anything to you, it's going to be hard to partner with anyone that has any type of influence to truly make that happen. And I think to do that, you, you have to understand that, yes, the overall revenue numbers may not be as high. You may not get listed on the Cash Kings list, or you might not get recognized on Billboard's Power Players list. But if you want to be able to own that life, then that is the best path for you to be able to choose and move forward. And of course, there's nuance to this, right? As I mentioned, Tyler Perry still did his distribution deal with Lionsgate, right? Right. right. Or, yeah, like you can find the opportunities where it makes sense. Being able to understand where you lie in that helps the decision-making process much easier over time. And I think similarly on the other side of this too, like if you want to be able to attain what Jay-Z has had, understanding that, yes, you became a billionaire because of these partnerships, but also accepting that someone else got richer than you did as the result of that. And it's kind of this interesting dichotomy because we often talk, you know, in in our circles about, okay, like when can, you know, uh, someone that is 
a black business business person that is rising up when can they feel like they have truly made it for lack of a better word right and i think a lot of people go back to like you know the the statements of the ownership and that's why we got to own ours that's why we got to do things we can't go try to seek validation from the man in hollywood or the big retailers etc but it's this tough balance because those are the people that have the power and the exposure now so if you want to partner with those if you want to be able to accelerate your brand it's in many ways the fastest way to do it is by doing it through them if you want to take the slower and steadier route knowing that you may not necessarily be able to get there in the long run yeah it is avoiding them completely or it's finding a happy medium of something that you are accustomed to and i think this type of sentiment rings true whether it's for folks like you and i and our own media businesses that we're building do we want to partner with the larger brand do we want to try to do this as our own thing um it's something that i've thought about as trapital as well when the vcs or the accelerators reach out to me and they're like hey would love to invest (laughs) you know this is how much we would give this is how much equity we would take though it's the same type of questions that come through with that Right. No, absolutely. And, you know, this is probably the worst time for me to say this, but Dan, when you are ready to raise some money, man, please count me in, in that group. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, I mean, just, I just had to say that, but you're absolutely right. This is the struggle. You know, this is, uh, this is, this has been my personal, you know, that question was really loaded because that was for me. <laughs> Cause I struggle. I'm like, am I Jay-Z today? You know, am I, you know, am I Master P today? Am I making say, uh, or am I, you know, Dame and I'm going to, you know, curse somebody out today. I don't know which one I, I, I am, but I will say that um, it's fascinating to to have watched these guys over the years, just to know that they have built something and to look at the impact that they've made and to see that they've done it differently. You know mm-hmm. that there's not one path that you have to take. There's there's many different ways to 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 make it happen. Um, man, this has been enlightening. You know, uh, I know for a fact everybody listening, watching is going to be on like Trapital, but it's Trapital.co, correct? Right, correct. Okay. It's Trapital.co, T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L.co. Okay. And so for the, the 2% of folks right now who are on the fence of going to Trapital, because I know 98% of us are like on the site right now, but for the 2% that are on the fence, sway them. Why, why, should, why should they become a reader of Trapital? You need to become a reader of Trapital because you've often, you've likely found yourself wanting more or desiring to find a voice that talked about the topics that you have with your friends or that you have with business partners or that you have within your own office, but no one is necessarily speaking to it in the language that relates to you. No one is talking about it that are ways that are specifically specific to you. And it's because people don't necessarily a respect it in that same way. And it doesn't get the mainstream coverage that's changing. Trapital is that voice. Trapital is providing that whether it's highlighting an artist or giving them the critique, you will walk away learning something. You will walk away being able to apply these models to a number of different examples that you go through. The topic may be specific to hip hop, but think about how media has changed. Think about how technology, all of the things that all of us engage with every day, 
Trapital touches a number of those topics. So similarly, while I have my core audience of the folks that understand and respect and use Trapital for their own business decisions, because it's specific to the music industry, there's plenty more outside of music that have found just more benefit from it. So check it out. Go to Trapital.co. You'll learn something new and make sure you sign up for the newsletter, just like Tyler Perry. I'm trying to get up to my 400,000. <laughs> so sign up for the newsletter. There you go. You're going to get there. Well, I'm a proud subscriber. Uh, Dan, run C, man. I appreciate it. You know, I wish you all the success with your business, uh, you know, with your writing, with the impact that you're going to make. And if I didn't reinforce it enough at the top, Dan is Jamaican. So there you go. That's all you need to know. Hey, one, right one. There. <laughs> there you go. All right, man. Thank you very much. I, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, bro. And there you have it. Another, can I just say, incredible episode. My man, Dan, really knows his stuff when it comes to how these entrepreneurs, in particular, how these hip hop slash content entrepreneurs are creating their businesses. Make sure you go follow Dan. In particular, get on the Trapital newsletter. It's free, it's phenomenal, it's one of my favorite newsletters, and that's Trapital, T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L dot C-O, Trapital dot C-O. You will not be disappointed. And so, where are we going next? What are we doing next? What's happening? Well, I'm going to tell you what. Normally, I like to tease the next episode. But right now, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what I'm doing next. There's a lot of episodes I have in the queue that I could pull out. Uh, I have some fascinating interviews that I'm doing just this week. So let's just say it's a surprise. We'll see what's happening next week. But until the next episode, right, whether that's next week you're listening to it or you're just binging, you know, better with Paul and you're going back to back, please make sure that you subscribe. Please make sure that you rate. Please make sure that you review. I literally sit back every week and look for the next review. So uh, it means so much for you to do that. And then last but definitely not least, please make sure that you're sharing. You know, one of the best comments that I get is when, you know, a mother will will say, Paul, I shared this with my nine-year-old son or my 12-year-old son, or I'll have, you know, a gent tell me, you know, Paul, I shared this uh, with my daughter, right? The fact that you are not only listening, but you're sharing, and then you're sharing with the people that you love and adore the most means so much to me. So thank you. We are going to continue, and I promise Better With Paul is just getting started. I have so many ideas, so many things that I want us to do together, uh, but we'll take it step by step. And the next step is next session. So I'll see you on the next Better With Paul. Sweet and bored.